Thank you for the invite. I appreciate the opportunity to come here and see you all and speak with you about the Word, exactly as Donna was uh, speaking. And, and looking at Job real quick, um, one thing we also need to remember at our core is what, what he says in verse 9 of chapter 1. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? We live in adversity too, don't we? We're in a fallen world. We deal with a lot of difficulties, some more than others right now, some more later down the road, but we have trials, and they're purposeful, and God is purposeful in bringing those. But ladies, I never want you to say the following, which is also in this chapter, Job's wife, not an encourager, right? Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Oh, I, I, I am thankful for an encouraging wife. I'm grateful for a wife that loves the Lord, knows his truth, is growing in sanctification, and that's really what I see about your book and specifically this chapter, a truth that transforms. It's seeing God for who he is and his word that reveals him, his truths, truths about us as well, right? One of the things the author also shared uh, was 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And if you did not read that, I highly encourage you to do so. As we're talking about living in a fallen world and all the things that come with it, that was such a great, great encouragement. I'd also encourage you to keep going into chapter 5, where we are ambassadors for Christ, because that's, that's part of where I'm going with my uh, conversation with you this evening, is the transforming words of God. And um, I think you'll see what I mean as we go. But I'd encourage you to read 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 5. Let the Spirit speak to you. Um, another thing I wanted to add, just reading different references and things of that nature in preparation for this evening, uh, I, I looked at a very popular book you're probably almost all familiar with, Jerry Bridges' um, Oh, what is it? Sin Habits? Respectable, thank you. I heard it out there somewhere. Respectable Sin Habits, which there are none. Let me clarify that title. There are no respectable sins, but these are those that are kind of under the wire, that aren't obvious, that can still be in our hearts. And one chapter that is specifically pertinent to this chapter that you're reading, truths that transform, is basically being ambivalent towards them or indifferent towards the word or the word not really penetrating or maybe disobedience or, again, basically ignoring it. That is ungodliness. And I want to point that out. Unrighteousness is evil. Ungodliness is evil, too, what is sanctification? It's the exact opposite of ungodliness. It's growing in godliness, right? We're at a church that's so well taught, I think sometimes we take it for granted. 
but we're also called to a higher standard because of that, because we are so well taught. We know the Bible. We're continuing to excel in reading and understanding it. We are called to a higher standard, therefore. Now, I I looked at, I never do this, but I I did recently. I was looking at a couple of uh, MacArthur's um, messages, and uh, there was a YouTuber that had something negative to say, and I saw the the, the clickbait, I guess you call it. And um, I avoided it for a while, and then I go, okay, you know what? I, I am curious, and I, and I rarely do this because I know what comes with it. But I think this is pertinent. I listened to it for a little while. I turned it off pretty quickly. But he's basically going through obedience and what John had spoken about, obedience because of the lordship of Christ, Right? We're changed, and we move towards excelling still more in our obedience towards him. Not that we're going to be perfect this side of glory, right? But we should be growing in in godliness, and that's sanctification, growing in holiness. But this guy kind of twisted what, what John had said about us growing in that way, saying, see, he's changing the whole gospel into trying to achieve salvation, which twisted the whole thing. We know from our good teaching here and from what the Bible says that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we need to obey. We're sinners, and we fail, and praise God that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it is all him. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2, all of those, again, affirm that very thing. It's nothing I have done. He's open on it, just like he did with the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, Right? He wasn't looking to be saved. Quite the contrary, he was looking to persecute the church, right? Okay, so I better get started on my message, huh? Yeah, okay. (laughs) We'll do that. Again, um, my little title here is Transforming Words of God. I'm going to start with Joshua 1. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to comment on a couple of things. And this is Joshua 1, 8, and 9. Most of you have probably memorized this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified or dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Encouraging words. And Pastor John Oftentimes, I don't know that he still does, but he would write that scripture reference in Bibles that people brought to him for him to sign. So it was very, very common, and that's because it is the word. The word is the basis of our understanding of divine things. And what's great and awesome is the Spirit illumines those truths for the believer, right? So, again... This verse is a, it, these verses are what John would often write in people's Bibles when they asked him to sign. But the word is so very central in the lives of people who believe, you and I. When God purposes trials and hardship due to sin or life in a fallen world, it is his word that brings the truth and therein reveals his character, his plans, his promises, and the truth about our fallen sinful condition. Within the scriptures are the truths that transform our hearts. And he has prepared those hearts to receive that truth. 
it is in that context we consider your chapter's verse and its enduring truth and the byproduct thereof. Your verse again, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. You may or may not know this, John believes that is the, the, the best verse, I guess I could say it that way, for understanding sanctification. It's transformative, it's growing in the word. We're seeing glory to glory as we're, we're growing in godliness. We born-again Christians, we all, I pray you all know the Lord savingly, that he has opened your eyes to his glorious truth and is transforming you, you're a new creature have a clear or unveiled view of the glory of the Lord. Now, do we have the glowing face of Moses coming off Mount Sinai? Uh, Not so much. But we should have faces that radiate a love for the one who, though we were yet sinners, died for us. And he reconciled us to a God that has perfect justice and therefore must require sinless perfection. We have joy because we trust his power and the perfect provision he has given in Christ, who is our perfection. It's his righteousness and his righteousness alone. If you read those chapters in in 2 Corinthians, the fourth and fifth, the last verse is verse 21 in chapter five, which again reflects that very truth, that we are acceptable to a holy God because of his son's provision, his very righteousness. It's not a righteousness of our own. Because we have an eternal home of glory with Christ, our beloved groom, our Lord, and our master. I hope those truths are comforting to you, ladies. So let your light shine as it is a reflection of Christ. Christians, little Christs, as the followers of Christ were first called in Antioch in the first century. And I don't think it was a compliment at the time. But but what a wonderful label to be a little Christ, a Christian. What was a mystery became reality affecting people since the birth of the church age at Pentecost. They saw him, saw Christ, they saw the glory of God in real time, what we now see in the God-breathed Holy Scriptures and the Holy Spirit within us illumines and affirms those truths. God's plan of redemption was a mystery that had been veiled but now is vividly clear. This plan, clear truth, allows us to have a view of his majesty as it relates to the plan of redemption in and through his son, Jesus Christ, and how his saving work creates new creatures, which make up his very church. Each new creation now sees God as the word reveals him, the great I am. Their response is a changed life, a life of submission to the lordship of Christ. It is not simply morality or intellectual assent to the facts. It is transformational. This verse says our vision, even if our actual vision is not 2020, is now unobstructed, clear, and obvious, and that in light of that we can now see the truth. Our lives are both changing are changed and changing. That transformation is our growing in Christ-likeness. I pray each of us are doing so day by day. 
Not that any of us have arrived. We know Philippians 1, 6, but we are all in process. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is faithful to complete it. But we haven't arrived, though we have been sealed by the spirit of promise, Ephesians 1, 13. For eternity as a pledge and a guarantee, you can see Second Corinthians 1, 21, and we know many people whose faith has indeed become sight. And that sight is of their risen Savior in the very glory of God. They've graduated. Are you a little envious of those who have graduated? <laughs> I, I know we all, all are in a sense, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. But how wondrous that is. I, I remember the first um, graduation memorial uh, here at Grace. It was Wayne Watkins. Not sure what year it was, probably early 90s, died of a brain tumor. And even in his hospital bed, he was still sharing the gospel. He was very involved in discipleship evangelism. And that's why we're here, by the way. Why doesn't God take us up when we believe? You are salt and light in this lost and dying world. Be encouraged. Okay, so, but they have graduated, have been glorified, and now worship their Savior in, in perfect spirit and truth. I long for that. With, without the entanglements or thought of sin, worshiping God perfectly, the way he truly deserves. There's that word again, truth. And we all long for that day, but many may fear the process he will use for us to go to him. Beloved, it is important to remember the goodness of our loving God in all aspects of this life and the life to come. The Lord will not give us more than we can handle. And to fear that day or process is not profitable or ultimately honorable to God. Don't allow yourself to be anxious in areas that only God knows. Trust him in those those places. Instead, go to the revealed truth of what you do know about him. He saved you and is with you at all times. We must reaffirm what is true, and that is his love for his children, and that our true home far exceeds any of the pain or any of the difficulties we may face in this life. Do you believe that? Pray you do. Romans 8.18 is a good reference for that. I believe I referenced uh, that scripture when I uh, spoke to you last. And again, it's just the things of this life don't compare with what we will behold. Speaking about the transformed life, I believe these are some of Donna's favorite verses. And it is important to remember we are to be living and holy sacrifices of God. As you heard in Mark Zakevich's message yesterday, um, I must decrease, but he must increase. Um, really appreciate that message in the story of Jonathan and David and Saul. But Jonathan just really excelled and encouraged and wanted to be aligned in God's will and was. But the, the reference I gave that Donna... I. I think this is one of your favorite verses. Romans 12? 
I know you do. And that's good because it's, it's such an important key verse for each and every one of us. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And what is God's will? Have you ever wondered that? That we would live godly lives for Christ and communicate his gospel to a lost and dying world. This is a challenge because the heart of man is, unbelieving man, is unrighteous. It's evil. But we are not to fear man, right? We're to fear God. His command is clear. But let's, let's look at, and, and actually Donna referenced this a moment ago. And 1 Corinthians 1.14 and following refers to a couple of things. First off, the natural man. But a natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the man who is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is discerned by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ in his very word. Let the Lord do his work through his word as you communicate the truth about God, judgment, and salvation in Christ alone. Consider this both for ourselves and the rebellious ones. It encourages the saints, and it challenges those that continue in their rebellion. Now, another section I'd like to talk about is the living word, okay? If you'd like to, you can turn to Hebrews 4.12. And I know I kind of run through these passages rather quick, but I know if, if I'm speaking from the word, I know it's true and powerful and alive. So I'll stay camped there throughout. Hebrews 4.12 and following. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we must answer. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. I I love this scripture as well. I, I know wherever we tend to be camped, we love that scripture because it speaks truth to our heart and is so affirming in its power and its truth and the glory of God in it. We know the word of God is living and active. It is a a living book, his living word. 
And how do we know that? Because I'm looking at many people here, and I know I don't know all of you, but I know many changed lives. And that is because of his word, it's because of his work, opening our eyes, softening our hearts, the spirit illuminating that. Because outside of that, and before conversion, we had little interest except self, oftentimes. And the Lord worked mysteriously in each and every one of you that are truly his to move you to see him, to turn in dependence to him. Now, do we still fight with self? Yes, you do. Yes, I do. There are aspects that just surprise us. And I think one of those really is thinking that we are unjustly treated and things of that nature. And Donna mentioned that briefly as well, that what we truly do deserve. We, we deserve condemnation and judgment. Every human being that ever lived, except the God-man, he deserved only goodness. And he takes a payment that we deserve. We deserve the judgment that he incurred. We don't deserve his righteousness that he gives. So just looking at that section of scripture again, and it wasn't my intent really to break it down, but I feel like I must. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Does it not cut to your heart to what your thinking is to revise that, to see what I did think and to see the contrast of God's word correcting, redirecting, even penetrating as far as a vision of soul and spirit It does divide the soul. It cuts to the soul. It opens the soul. It reveals the soul. You're familiar with Jeremiah 17, 9, that our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? God knows it. And he knows how to open it up, even make us aware of it when we were blind to how evil it was. To the division of the soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What else can do that but his word? Those are truths that transform. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, not a one, but all things are open and laid bare to the the eyes of him to whom we must answer. And we still will answer. Think about that as well. What is going to be refined What's the refined gold and silver that he has prepared that we have lifted up to him in investing in the kingdom? There's too much wood, hay, and stubble still in our lives. And again, transforming truths move us into progressive sanctification, greater holiness, which comes down to more Christ-likeness not to achieve a standard, to respond. Even if you look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which, again, make it clear that grace is a gift. Faith is a gift. But 10, which people often just kind of put to the side, not ignore, but you don't hear it quite as much, that we are created for good works. It's not an effort to be in good standing with God. He's changed our heart that we could do, even desire doing good works. But verse 14, 
should I say, end verse 14. What great encouragement. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, just as we are, yet without sin. And then there's an invitation. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at the time of our need. Jesus knows you and me perfectly. Perfectly. He knew our sins, past, present, future, and still determined to place his love upon us. A great high priest, he does sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted. And this is an important thing to remember also for evangelism. He was tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. That's another evidence of deity, another evidence of his love for us, another evidence that his sacrifice was perfect, that he wasn't dying for his own sins. He didn't have any. It was a substitutionary death, propitiation, if you will. I'm going to make a little turn here. I want to talk a little bit about speaking the truth in love. There was a poster from one of our Christmas presents. I almost brought it because we just recently found it. We didn't. We thought it was gone. And it was me in a Western dress. It was kind of a Western theme, speaking the truth in love. It was perfect. So not the picture, but the reference. Um, but anyway, it, it just was good. It, it, I love speaking the truth in love. But what does that look like? I, I want to challenge yours and challenging my thinking as well. And it's going to take me a little while to develop, but bear with me. Ephesians 4, 11 and following. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge. This reminds me of England. (laughs) That's another joke. Anyway, um, and I shouldn't do that in the middle of Scripture. I apologize. Forgive me for that. Until we at- all attain the unity of the faith and to the knowledge and, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of people by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So again, we've all been equipped. We all have spiritual gifts. You need to use them for benefiting the rest of the body of Christ. That's what the purpose is there. 
to edify one another and glorify Christ in, in the process. But there's a couple of points there. Um, one is dealing with a difficult world, and again, stepping out in faith, evangelizing. The Lord has equipped his church with what she needs to grow in which is a greater and more complete knowledge of Christ and the unity of the faith in him. His truth insulates us from the trickery of people and deceitful scheming of man, including that we have experienced in some recent weeks. We are called to speak the truth in love. We know the truth is what God says about anything and everything. What he says is true. But the world shuns the truth like we did before God opened our eyes. Man makes his own so-called truth, which is his own fabrication, and in fact, it is his attempt at suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. These days, it is called progressive, and it is contrary to the truth, and in fact, hates the truth. But to some degree, all know the truth that they will be judged righteously. Consider this section of Romans 1, starting at verse 18. And what I'd like you to see here, and, and I know many of you know this, but people are aware of aspects of biblical truth, and this is one of them that I'm going to share with you. Now, when you point that out to some people, uh, they're not going to quickly confess, oh, yes, I, I've known that all along. I've just suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. They have convinced themselves that it's nonsense, that it's foolishness. But we do not know whose eyes God will open, right? And that's the thing you need to remember. That's not for us to know. That's another one of those things God knows. We are called to communicate the gospel with them, right? Or are we just going to say, you know, so long, I don't care where you spend eternity? We're going to talk about that. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes that is, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made. So they are without excuse. Now, we're called to love one another, love our neighbor, and love our enemies, right? Do you think speaking the truth to the unsaved appears to be loving to them? Not necessarily. Oftentimes not. Let's look at an example from John 8, and I would encourage you to turn there. John 8. The heading is a perfect outline. Jesus is the light of the world. That is not inspired. It's a heading that was put in for us to help us navigate the Bible. But this is a conversation with Jesus, with some believers, I, I put that in quotes, and Pharisees, clearly not believers. 
starting at verse 12. Then Jesus, Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in the darkness. This is clear contrast, light and darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to them, said to him, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, even if I am testi- testifying about myself, my testimony is true because I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law, it has been written that the testimony of two people is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were saying to him, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple area, and no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Continuing on in verse 21. Then he said again to them, I am going away and you will look for me and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Then they were saying to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, what, what have I even been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to say and to judge regarding you, but he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I say to you, the world. They did not realize that he was speaking to them about the Father, which I'm surprised that's the case because almost every reference he's saying he and the Father. But continuing on in verse... Uh, 28. So Jesus said, when you lift up the son of man, then you will know that I am and I do nothing on my own, but I say these things as the father instructed me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he said these things, many came to believe in him. Keep keep your mark there. We're going to go We're going to keep going. But as you can see, this exchange is getting testy, right? Uncomfortable, if you will. And I know Jesus, who knows all things, he's giving warning. Now, is warning loving? It, It is if you're speaking about the rescue. And not to take the rescue is perilous. And that's how we should communicate it. Um, I know contrasting heaven and hell is challenging, but it's not truly the gospel until, unless we're talking of both. Because the, the, the consequence of unbelief is what? Hell. Separation from God in all eternity. 
Now, I may be getting a, a little bit ahead of myself right now, but the fact is, if you've been saved, are you going to keep that truth to yourself? Is that love? It's not love. It's the opposite. And I know it can be very uncomfortable at times. We have grace evangelism still. Um, I come from a background of, of discipleship evangelism. Who is here? Is Donna, Donna here? Donna Squires? Maybe not. Anybody take discipleship evangelism? Good for you. Now, one of the things, and, and you can speak up if you like. Did you learn in taking that class and going out, knocking on doors, going in laundromats, that God is in control? Absolutely. That he's trustworthy. Versus where our own hearts can take us is what? Fear. Fear of what? Man. Not the fear of God. Not, not an overriding want to, uh, desire to honor God, but instead fear of man. What are some of those fears? Rejection. Uh, what can I say about that? Look at our perfect example of rejection. Who is that? Christ. The one who came from heaven to live among sinners, to be mocked and scorned, spat upon, and go to the cross. But he was going to the cross, right? So many people think, oh, what a pity. What a tragedy. Oh, my. That person needs to know why. That the plan was there before sin even existed. By our omniscient God, his perfect plan of redemption was the cross was Christ, the eternal Christ. That's mind-blowing. But, but what is also mind-blowing is that he loved you and me, not deserving it. Anyway, I'm probably going to repeat a lot of those things, but that's good. It's good to repeat. So, words of truth. This section is words of truth. We're continuing on. In this section of scripture, now verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? That's really interesting. There, there is a belief that is not saving belief. Hebrews 10 talks about it in, in some detail. People that are hanging around the church, seeing the glory of God in other people and, and there, and even seeing aspects of the truth of God's word, but not submitting to it, not repenting of their own sin, not trusting in Christ alone for their salvation, first and foremost. But it goes on, verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you. Do you think this was truth? Truly, truly, I mean, repeating emphasis, coming from the very Son of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Now, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. Interesting play on words there. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are seeking to kill me because my word has no place in you. 
I speak of the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father. Here's a big turn. Now, I'm not going to say you need to go here in your evangelism, but there are two types of human beings. It's who their father is. There's no middle ground. Your father is either God or Satan. That's why we see the fallenness of this world. And I'm not saying they're all having satanic parties or dances or whatever they do, but they're still his, and they do the thing of their father. That's how we can be so crazy to do, it seems like, anything possible to destroy the family, marriage, human beings the way they were made, male and female. What a concept. Anyway, it's... I will say this also with evangelism. It is surprising when the Lord opens eyes of people who were so far off. Think of yourself. How far off were you? And you maybe were goody two-shoes. I kind of was when I was a kid. But at least compared to my sister. (laughs) Anyway, that's a whole other story. (laughs) See, that's what man does compares to somebody worse. That's what man in evangelism does. I'm not that bad. I read in the paper about this really bad guy. He's going to hell. And then say something like, well, you know what the Bible says? If you're guilty on one point, you're guilty of all. (laughs) Now I got to say something else. Um, Stacy hates it when I do this. You know, this, this sister of mine, Valerie, love her, love her, many of you, some of you know her. At one point, she was going through a very difficult time with a third marriage. I'm speaking words of truth to her. She said this quote, it was devastating to me, but it's not about me. And I rightly thought that at the moment too. She said, you're so focused on Christ, you become irrelevant. <clears throat> I just kind of tuck it in. I didn't say anything. I said, I'm still going to continue to encourage you with God's word. She's going to Grace Baptist up in Santa Clarita now. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Go God. <laughs> I mean, really. I know that sounds trite. And, and Ungodliness also thinks lightly of godly things just kind of jumping way, 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 way back and bringing us to the present. Godliness is seeing God in everything. You see the flower and you go, what a sweet delight. Look at the glory of God. You see the rain saying we prayed for rain for, what, five years? You brought the rain, all right. But I think that's when I think about the rainbow when we get four inches all at once. Going, I know his promise. He's not going to destroy the world with, with water. He's not going to flood it again. I know that's kind of been um, stolen, the rainbow. That's okay. It's still God's. Don't worry. Okay? So, where in the world was I, Stacy? No. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding with you a little bit. But... 
here's the thing. I want to continue in this section because what happens in some exchanges, not all, it's truth, hate, truth, hate. But who are they hating if it's not about you? Their creator. You know, look at this too. These things just pop my head in that, and that's the spirit oftentimes. Look at the garden with Adam and Eve who were without sin. They sinned in disobedience, were deceived, but they believed God was holding out. And how quickly that turns from the beauty of perfection, of sinlessness, into ugly blame shifting. Getting the blame off of me onto somebody else. In fact, the closest person to me. Adam said what? It's the woman. He's throwing her under the bus right off the bat, right? It's the woman you gave me. So bold as to even basically blame God for putting him in that position. That is how ugly, heinous, and deceitful sin in our hearts can be. I'm quite certain that, I'll say all of us, have tried to justify our sin or disobedience in some way, shape, or form, and it's bogus. I don't think that's a biblical word, bogus. It's a lie. It's a stupid lie. First of all, we already talked about him with the living word that can see through us perfectly. We're not fooling him at all. Okay. How much time do I have? To... <laughs> do you know? Well, um, uh, it's been a little while. Let, let me wrap up, try to wrap up some points that I, I hope and pray really are edifying to you and encouraging to you. Let me continue with this section, though. In verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God, this Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They say to him, we were not born as a result of sexual immorality. I mean, they're throwing it out there at this point. We have one father, God. They were trying to figure out where he did come from, right? And that would be a head-scratcher for anybody who didn't believe, right? The, the one movie that we, we enjoy at, at Christmas, or one movie we enjoy at Christmas, is um, the nativity scene, the nativity period. It, it actually handles that situation quite well, that the townspeople are saying, she's pregnant. She was betrothed. So they're looking at both of them as guilty sinners. Do you think that, that was true? I don't doubt it for a moment. They're wondering where this came from. They're not married yet. But they're trying to rationalize. But, but they, they go into calling Jesus a demon and, and the rest. It just gets ugly. And he continues to warn them, but he will judge them. My question to you, is Jesus loving here? he is what does he love the honor of God 
first and foremost. When Jesus went into the temple early in his ministry and at the end of his ministry and turned over the money changers' tables, that was pure righteous indignation. And I believe we can have righteous indignation, but I think it's gone like that. It turns into thinking more about us than the dishonor of God. But that's what he's doing here. He's honoring God. He can and does honor himself too, being God and righteous and perfect. None of us can do that. We need to come into these situations, big difference, in humility, never self-righteousness because it does not exist in us. It's a foreign alien righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. And that's what we need to communicate Of course, he warns and they hate. He gives them truth and they lie and hate. We must face the fact that the devil and his world hate God and the word. Jesus Christ, the truth that sets men free. Our response, speak the truth in love. That means we are humble yet bold. And that's meek. The proper definition of meek, and Christ was meek, is power under control. Our power is his. Our righteousness is his. The mission field includes the rebellious of which some are elect. We must fear God and not man. Speak the truth in love, my friends. Do not hide your light, the reflection of his light, under a bushel basket. That is unloving. But we don't want to offend someone, I realize. We need first to care about the glory of God and care about where our neighbor will spend eternity. The gospel of Christ is the lifeline. Not to throw it to them is disobedient to God's command and the furthest thing from loving our neighbor. Instead, there can be indifference to another created in God's image, and there should not be indifference there. There should be love. Loving self rather than loving God and others is what that can look like. Now, in response to a Pharisee who asked which commandment is the greatest in Moses' teaching, he was asking Jesus, Matthew 24, 37 says, Jesus answered him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. All of Moses' teachings and the prophets depend on these two commands. And just a few chapters after that, Christ introduces the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, great encouragement, I am with you always to the end of the age. A promise from him, our Lord. I was going into, I think I'll close at this point, Donna. I was going to go into John 1, 1, talking about Jesus is the word, the very word. And it, the Bible affirms that in John 1, 1 in many places, but all the way in Revelation 19 as well. In Revelation 19, uh, verse 13 He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called.
the word of God. And again, you're familiar with John 1.1. Might as well read it from there. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him. Not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens us. It goes on in verse 12, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That is the truth that transforms. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you that you are the word of truth. You are true. Your words are true. Your promises are true. Your gospel is true. We pray that you will open eyes and hearts that as we have opportunity to speak the gospel, the good news to them, that your spirit will, again, open their eyes and soften their hearts to receive your word. Lord, we don't know where we are in that process. We are but to proclaim. You do the saving. You do that work and you alone in all all of our hearts, everyone here who trusts in you alone for their salvation and has repented of their sin, Lord, you have done that. You've changed us and made us new creatures. We pray that you would continue to build your church, and we know that you do and have, and oftentimes in much travail around the world, use various circumstances to bring people to their knees. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen.